Hello again, everyone, and thank you for joining this combined episode of Skeptics and Seekers and Still Unbelievable. Uh, today, I will be your host and moderator. I'm Andrew Knight, and thank you for joining us. Um, before we get on with this show, there's some important uh, there's some important business to take care of. This is usually the time in the show where we have uh, some kind of programming notes. I'll give you a couple. Uh, Matthew Taylor right now is over on the Free Thought Network uh, doing an interview. So uh, if you like to hear Matthew, uh, look out over on Still Unbelievable for that interview. Uh, but rather than continuing with programming notes, I think we have uh, something that might better be referred to as a deprogramming note. And, uh, and uh, uh, to tell you more about that, I'm going to hand the mic to David, David Johnson. Hello, and uh, welcome to another, uh, the last episode of Skeptics and Seekers. Uh, how you doing? Uh, so, uh, Skeptics and Seekers, uh, effectively, effective immediately is no more. That doesn't mean that you cannot still go to Skeptics and Seekers dot squarespace.com and uh, listen to programs that are done in the past and at least for uh, a while uh, add your thoughts uh, to the comments uh, under the shows just sign in with discuss and you'll be able to do that but know that uh, season four of skeptics and seekers which would normally start uh, in about a month or, or less is not going to start so uh, we're going to call it a wrap, and rather than to recap uh, everything that I've written in a blog post, I just encourage you to go to skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com, and uh, you can uh, go ahead and read uh, the latest blog post, and you can comment uh, there if you like. You can still get in touch with me at skepticsandseekers uh, at gmail.com come and I read all the emails and I try to respond to uh, everyone who uh, is kind enough to write me. So uh, in short, why is skeptics and seekers shutting down? Well, there are a lot of good reasons why it could shut down. Um, I'm getting old and I'm tired. Uh, I'm tired of running a site. <laughs> uh, it, it's a lot of work and I actually have things to do and I have to somewhat minimize the non-paying things that I do um, and increase the paying things that I do. So that's that's a part of it, but it's such a small part, it's not even worth mentioning. It's just a way of me stalling uh, so that I don't have to say uh, the real truth, which is I think that in aggregate, uh, when the tally is done by some impartial judge, uh, that the aggregate of skeptics and seekers is uh, is negative rather than positive. And it's not something that I'm particularly proud of at this point. Uh, I think the conversations uh, have become toxic as they have been for some time. I think that's the nature of this particular beast. And it was arrogant on my part to think that I could do a better job at something that there's never actually done a better job uh, at. And so, um, you know, it's always a it's always a red flag if you go to do something and there are a lot of uh, smarter people than you who have tried their hand at it 
and failed spectacularly in exactly the same way. <laughs> so um, I, I somewhat ignore those red flags. And in fact, I think that I uh, am responsible, I don't think, I know that I'm responsible for encouraging uh, and fostering a idea of conversation as a blood sport. It is a particular kind of fun sport for me in the same way that uh, a hard hitting tackle American football is a fun thing for me, but I don't think everyone should engage in it. In fact, I think most people shouldn't engage in it. And it's something that you should only do with a certain amount of training and background and should try to turn that into something that's mainstream would be stupid and dangerous. And so, um, so there's, there's that. Uh, so once again, you can read the blog post. Uh, I do want to go out saying just a couple of things, um, a couple of thank yous to people. So I want to thank Matthew uh, for being uh, one of the bright spots, one of the few people uh, in my orbit over the last few years uh, who has had the best brought out in them. Uh, Matthew, you know, he wasn't a writer when I encountered him, but he became that and added that to his repertoire. He wasn't a podcaster um, and a public speaker per se when I encountered him, uh, but he became that and a very good one. And I don't, I don't know that he was much of a debater uh, when I met him, but you know, he became that and became a very good one. He became a very thoughtful uh, interlocutor uh, and listener and uh, a quick thinker. And he's uh, a good producer, uh, an editor. He's, he's very well-rounded. He has grown uh, in leaps and bounds. And I can't take uh, all the credit. It may be wrong to take any of the credit, but I'm going to take some. <laughs> I want to call Matthew a great success. Uh, I love this guy. And um, I've learned more from him uh, than he ever had to learn from me. And so uh, thank you, uh, Matthew. Uh, I want to take a moment to thank David Kimball Cook, uh, someone who, you know, I've got a couple of more shows that I'm, that I'm supposed to do and those shows will never get done now. But uh, David Kimball Cook, uh, way back in the unbelievable days, uh, was someone who, even at that time, was able to cut through and uh, speak truth to me in a way that I could not ignore. And he helped me to recognize some of my uh, own personal flaws and some of the things that I needed to overcome if I was going to be uh, successful at this at all. And so any success that I've had, uh, I, I owe a lot of that to David Kimball Cook. Um, he, he had a powerful influence uh, on me early on, and I've said that before, and um, I, I still mean it today. So uh, thank you, uh, David Kimball Cook. I also want to give a special shout out to David Russell, who's with me this uh, uh, last uh, season. David Russell uh, is someone who I admired before uh, bringing him on. Uh, I admired him while he was here, uh, and while he hasn't always produced, you know, the best arguments per se. You know what? The best arguments don't make you the best person. And um, David Russell is one of the finest people in my book because, among all of the other things that he is, uh, 
he is a kind human being, uh, a, a gentle soul who uh, was not ruined by his encounter here. We were elevated by uh, his presence. And I want to I want to thank um, David Russell for his time with us. And, uh, you know, I wish I had um, more time experiencing him because he inspired me to try to be a better person. Uh, and I, I'll take that inspiration further with me. I also want to I want to mention uh, Teddy. Teddy uh, probably is the single most abused person <laughs> on Skeptics and Singers because uh, she gets it from both. Well, Teddy and Peter, um, they get it from both sides. The difference between Teddy and Peter, though, is that Teddy is a lightning rod, <laughs> and so she, um, you know, it's easy to argue with Teddy. <laughs> she she appreciates conversation as a blood sport. Her first post on Skeptics and Seekers was out of left field, nasty, uh, mean spirited, arrogant. It was everything I loved. Um, and, and my first post to her was in kind, um, but I knew after those first few exchanges that this is a person that I'd like to get to know better. I immediately wanted to have her on the show. Uh, and as it turns out, um, and mostly I, I get this in private exchanges because we've had a lot of private exchanges. Teddy is a, a fabulous uh, patient and loving human being. This is something that you would not necessarily get uh, listening to her on the show. And you wouldn't expect me to say it either, but uh, she's she's one of my favorite people. Um, she's very political, she's very religious, but more than that, she's extremely human. Uh, and uh, in the grand scheme of things, um, has a has a very beautiful humanity, uh, and I I appreciate that about her. Uh, she can be that and still a badass. So uh, thanks uh, for that, Teddy. Thanks for being there and taking more abuse than you ever deserved. And thanks, Peter, who uh, was smart enough to never come on the show, but he's there in the comment section every week. Peter never ends a conversation, no matter how badly it's going for him. <laughs> he never he never takes his ball and goes home. He never slams the door and uh, you know leaves the room um, in a in a huff. And he conducts himself um, with a great deal of uh, decorum from someone who has friends on neither side. <laughs> Christians. Uh, are coming at him. The atheists are coming at him, and um, and yet I, uh, it makes me smile to see his posts. And even though there's so many more people to thank, uh, uh, Brian with a Y, uh, I, I love the thoughtfulness you brought to the comment sections. Those were always my favorite shows. Brian with an I. Um, so who doesn't love Brian, right? Um, Recently, I won't say who he's been called an Athenian, but I could think of a lot worse things to be than an Athenian, someone who uh, enjoys considering 
interesting ideas. Um, and the thing is, he's he's. It's not like he's going to just change his whole life and jump on a new thing just because it's a new idea that he's exploring. But he has taught me how to explore everything, you know, and uh, he's made me care about things that I normally don't care about just by seeing the way he explores them. And he'll explore almost anything. And he explores it respectfully. He explores it honestly. He explores it with great research. Uh, and he's a guy who, instead of having um, having no friends, he's a guy that everybody loves, which is, I don't know how that's possible <laughs> on, a, on a board like this in a community like that. And when I figure it out, um, I will have become a better person. And so Skeptics and Seekers uh, has been, while maybe a toxic environment for a lot of people in a lot of ways, and I, I recognize that, it's been an amazing experience for me. That's, that's a little bit selfish. Sorry about all you fools who got ran over, but what a ride. Uh, <laughs> that's, that doesn't come out right, but I guess that's appropriate for a Skeptics and Seekers kind of send off. So I just wanna thank everybody for um, coming along with me. And I benefited uh, from, from everybody at one point or another in one way or another. And even the people that uh, I don't get along with on the board, I benefited from them too. And I take full, I, I take at least the responsibility that is mine for you know, bringing out the worst in the people who sometimes show the worst. Um, I think that we all need to do a better job at trying to bring out the best in the people around us. And um, so I'm gonna work on that. I'm gonna figure that out and I'm gonna fade away and I'll be there, I'll be lurking. Uh, I won't be commenting. Uh, I'll probably appear on other podcasts here and there uh, because I'll still, I'll still podcast, but I'm not going to do another project until I figure out uh, what it is that really needs done that I can contribute to uh, and leave something in the world that's positive and something that I can point uh, to people at the end of the day and say, uh, you know, you should, you should consume this because this was good work uh, and it'll leave you feeling better uh, about things. And I don't, I don't have that project yet. Uh, so we'll see. Um, you know, you can, you can leave your suggestions uh, on the board and um, I'll look at them, I'll see them. I won't be commenting on the board. If anyone wants to talk to me privately, uh, once again, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Uh, and hopefully I will not have to come in and uh, moderate the end of this discussion, but I'm kind of here as a uh, moderator safety net. And so my uh, greatest hope at this point is that this is actually the last thing I have to say. Uh, and with that, I'm going to turn it uh, over to the actual moderator and the participants. Uh, thanks, everybody. I honestly have no idea how it fell to me to moderate the last debate on skeptics and seekers, but uh, we're going to get started. and. I can't even promise that this debate is going to leave you, uh, in David's words, 
feeling better at the end because in in fine uh, skeptics and seekers fashion, um, we have a conversation today is that is uh, as full of controversy I think as it is possible uh, for a conversation between skeptics and Christians to be. So without any further uh, preamble, uh, today's conversation is on abortion, and uh, and. I'll go ahead and introduce very briefly the two people that are uh, going to take the bulk of this debate. Uh, we've got Darren Lute. Uh, you all know Darren. Hey, Darren, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for um, thank you for taking the skeptic side uh, of, of today's debate, and and on the other side, um, one of those people who uh, who often gets a hard time. Uh, quite frankly, on the skeptics and seekers boards on the Christian side, uh, but he has agreed to show up today and uh, and to defend the Christian view on abortion. And I don't think it was an easy, I don't think it was an easy decision to make. Uh, but the in in the finest tradition of still unbelievable and skeptics and seekers. Um, we will we will do our best to honor the fact that you showed up. Mike Hack, uh, thank you for being here. Hey Andrew, thanks for having me. So I'm not going to give any additional preamble to this debate. Both sides have agreed to come with an opening. They both have introductions. The introductions will take 10 or 15 minutes apiece. Uh, and uh, in the run-up to the show, Darren agreed that, that he would go first. I don't have any thoughts on who will go last. We'll see how the show naturally ends. But there will be a Q&A section uh, at the end, and we're going to keep this to two or two and a half hours. So the, uh, the last show of Skeptics and Seekers will do this one thing that is unusual. It won't be a 14-hour show. We're, we're going to keep it to uh, we're, we're going to keep it to two or two and a half hours. Yeah, don't and, don't make promises you can't keep. Uh, well, yeah, true. <laughs> we're we're going to try. Okay, so Darren, I I know that you're ready, and uh, and thank you for agreeing to go first. And I'll hand the mic to you, and uh, and we'll see how it goes. All right. Um, well, I guess first thing I'll say is that. Um, I have provided resources for um, what I'm saying here. Um, there are a lot of things that, a lot of considerations I took into, a lot of things I took into consideration when uh, providing the resources. The most primary one is that I'm kind of lazy and I procrastinate a lot. So there's that. Um, there's also the uh, the fact that probably 99% of the people he hearing this uh, probably doesn't have the technical background to even understand a lot of the scientific papers that are um, a part of this discussion. So what I tried to do with the resources was provide um, mass um, mass audience appeal uh, for the papers. And I tried to pick as many papers that were written by the people that doing the research themselves um, or that had extensively referenced the actual um, experiments and research and people that are actually doing the, the work in the field. Um, so uh, as you're going through the resources, you can either uh, just take the high level um, 
paper to get sort of an idea of what's going on, or there's lots of resources for you to really sink your teeth into it and go as far down the rabbit hole as you really want to. I would suggest everyone do that. It's a fairly fascinating topic and well worth um, all the time that you're going to waste looking into it. Um, so what is, uh, I don't think anyone really uh, mentioned what this is about, so I'll just give a quick summary. Um, so basically this, uh, from what I understand, today's topic is going to be the uh, a woman's bodily autonomy versus fetus's right to life. Uh, why should one have preference over the other? And um, and I think uh, Tack also wants to get into a little bit of the morality behind that, and uh, maybe a little bit about the foundations. Uh, but I'll let him um, uh, go there if that's uh, if I'm correct in that assessment. Um, so in these kind of conversations, uh, there are generally two lines of uh, defense from the theists. Uh, one is the right to life um, of fetus, and then the other is the image of God. Um, that everyone is supposed to have. Um, so I will be, the first thing I will be doing is just laying out a bunch of facts. Uh, facts really don't tell us what we should believe, but it, does, but it at least should inform what we do believe. Um, because if facts don't matter, then why are we even having a discussion? So uh, the first part of the facts that I will be presenting are the social society and legal standings of the right to life versus bodily autonomy. Um, it seems to me that uh, when I was preparing for this, uh, it seemed to me that every example I could find, the right to life was, uh, was always the weakest of the rights that people had. I know that sounds weird to consider, but it seems like whenever the right to life is um, compared to another right that we have, the right to life always loses. For example, there's the death penalty. When people um, create, uh, commit crimes, uh, there's a chance that their, right, their uh, rights uh, to being free um, to, uh, and their right to life can be taken away from them. Uh, usually it's a murder case, but that's not always that's not always the case in all countries. Um, in some countries, uh, especially the uh, ones that are overly religious, uh, you can you lose your right to life just from being gay or uh, not being not following the correct religion. Um, in this country, it's mostly just for murdering other people. Um, which in a lot of cases makes sense. Another case is gun rights. Uh, in this country, there are a lot of people that view their right to own a, a gun and uh, that view their right to not be put on a uh, list for background checks as more important than um, people's rights to life uh, for like mass shootings or anything else that uh, guns are used for. So in that case, we have uh, the right to life of other people being um, being subsumed by the right to own guns. Uh, this is also reflected in standard right and standard ground laws that some kind of, some states have. 
uh, when you don't even have to be on your own. Sometimes you don't even have to be on your own property. You can just be in the middle of the streets. And if someone is um, making you feel uncomfortable or make you feel like your, your uh, own bodily autonomy is in jeopardy, then you have the right to shoot them. They have given up their right to life because you have the right to your own bodily autonomy and um, protecting that bodily autonomy. This has also uh, been fairly well uh, displayed in mass mandates and vaccines. People uh, believe that other people's right to life uh, is not all that important. Uh, it's less important than their right to have the government force them to take a vaccine that will prevent those deaths or to even um, wear a mask uh, cloth covering over their face to help prevent those deaths. They view that the, their own bodily autonomy, autonomy is more important than other people's right to life. For a plague that has killed about 300, or has killed about 636,000 people uh, as of this recording. So uh, when I started searching around for times when um, the right to life actually trumped a person's bodily autonomy, I actually wasn't able to find any. And I took a few hours to look. Uh, maybe my uh, Google food just wasn't up to the task, or maybe uh, I missed something obvious, but I wasn't able to find anything. Uh, in our society, uh, in our legal system, bodily autonomy always trumps uh, the right to life. Now, um, one of the other things that um, is usually brought up into this is the image of God. And this is usually tied into the right of life. Uh, they usually say that um, the right of life is given to us because of the image. Uh, we are made in the image of God. Um, so there are a few th things that the uh, theist has to overcome when they use this type of argument. First, they have to demonstrate that God is a real thing. And given that over the last 12,000 years or so of written history, no one has been able to demonstrate that gods or magic are a real thing, um, that seems to me to be a fairly large hurdle. Um, then if God is a real thing, they also have the problem of demonstrating that what they're claiming about um, God is actually true. How did you determine that God created us in his image? What does that even mean? Um, how do you verify that that statement is actually true? And if it is true, then why is it that there is so much killing in the Bible? Uh, in the Bible, we have people, God directly commands people to kill um, in all sorts of situations. The most absurd is uh, when he uh, directly commands people to kill other people for picking up sticks on his favorite day. So even if uh, we do have this image of God that we're um, that we have, God obviously doesn't hold it in that high a regard because he's fine killing people for picking up sticks on his favorite day. Um, there is also the problem with the actual creation that God made. Um, it's been the extended number of miscarriages, uh, and these are the um, pregnancies that don't go to term naturally. Uh, 
is between 10 and 20%. Um, and these are the ones that we know about. Um, if uh, the genetic evolutionary geneticist William Rice is to be believed in his research, then the uh, number is actually closer to 50 or 60% because um, the because most pregnancies, uh, most women don't realize that they're pregnant. And, uh, and in his research, he was able to pull out a lot of um, eggs that um, weren't wanted and were able to find the things that will cause miscarriage in those eggs. And he found that about 50 or 60% of the eggs uh, have, this, uh, have these various defects in them. So um, I know a lot of uh, theists will, um, will say that's the result of the fall, but the fall and its rules um, are, were made by God. So the fact that um, miscarriages happen because of the fall, the only way that could have even come to pass is if God made it so that the fall would result in that kind of behavior. So again, we are back to God, um, God's creation having this in there. So if he is that concerned about the image of God, his creation doesn't reflect that. And then the last thing that I'd like to point out in the theology is that when we're talking about right to life uh, and abortions, an abortion in Christian theology doesn't actually remove the right to life because the fetus in Christian mythology goes to heaven. So we're not actually taking away its right to life. We're just changing where uh, it has that right to live. So all of that is for people um, that exist as people. Then the theist also has the third problem in that fetuses up to a certain point aren't people. And we know this because of the science and what it has to tell us. So personhood is usually, and I sort of uh, took all the different um, definitions and philosophy um, um, papers that I was able to find and how they're defining personhood. And there's a lot of different def definitions, but they all seem to um, have at least some of these, if not all of these present. One, uh, the thing they're talking about has to be conscious, have consciousness. It has to have the ability to reason. It has to have, be able to be self-motivated. It has to be, have the capacity to communicate um, as well as um, understand what that communication means. And it has to be able to have um, a concept of self, uh, self-awareness. And we know where all these parts exist in the brain. Uh, consciousness is the cerebral. Uh, uh, cerebrum, specifically the claustrum and the brain stem, uh, sort of the beginning and the end and tying everything together. Uh, we've got the frontal lobe for reasoning. We've got the limbic system and the amygdala for self-motivated activity. Uh, we've got Broca's and Wemmick's area for the capacity to communicate, um, as well as uh, understanding what that language means. And then we have the cortex for um, self-awareness and um, and other self-concepts. So we actually know where these, all the aspects of personhood, we know what parts of the brain they come from. So we can actually measure them, check 
when those parts of the brain are developed enough to actually be able to produce these um, uh, flags of personhood. So the very beginning of our higher brain structures only start to appear between uh, weeks 12 and 16. The coordinated brain activity required for consciousness does not even occur until 24 or 25 weeks of pregnancy. And at approximately 34 weeks of pregnancy, that's when uh, the two hemispheres of the brain actually start talking to each other. And in context here, when we're talking about abortions, 92% of abortions are performed before 13 weeks of gestation. So when we're talking about uh, abortion, what we're really talking about, since 92% uh, of them occur before 13 weeks, is less than 13 weeks. 7% uh, are performed under 20 weeks. So if we are talking about um, 98, 99% of the abortions are under 20 weeks, then that means that we know that uh, the fetus does not match the, any of the, uh, does not have any of the flags for personhood. Uh, we know that because uh, none of those uh, systems start actually activating in the brain, are not um, built up enough in the brain to actually start happening um, until the 24, 25 week uh, time frame. So that's the third hurdle that um, the uh, anti-abortion people actually have to, to um, overcome. They've got the fact that um, um, our uh, bodily autonomy, um, in every example that I can think of, Trump's right to life, someone else's right to life. They've got the fact that even in their own um, mythology, we're not taking away the uh, fetus's right to life, and uh, God has no real respect for uh, the right to life. And we have the fact that we're not even talking about um, a being that has personhood uh, in the first place. So if the um, if these don't if actual people, the people that can are conscious and have uh, self-motivated activity and the ability to have self-awareness, if these people don't even have a right to life over someone else's uh, bodily autonomy, then how does um, a being without personhood, I mean, how do you justify a person without personhood having rights to someone else's bodily autonomy? Um, and that's going to be the third main um, heard all that the other person is going to have to take. Um, and I think that is mostly going to be my opening statement. I don't know if I used the full 10 minutes or not, but or went over. Uh, but I think that's a good start for uh, for me where I'm at. It was a start. Um, let me thank you for uh, setting the, the foundation for the show where I did not. Um, having the announcement up front that, uh, that Skeptics and Seekers has uh, has come to a full stop, I think probably for me a little bit. So uh, thanks for picking up on that and, uh, and working it through for the listeners, as well as providing what I think is uh, quite a well laid out uh, opening. So Mac Attack, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, our 
our right to life um, doesn't seem to be as much of a right as we often think. Bodily autonomy is involved uh, in this conversation. Um, the, the human brain seems to, to provide some pretty good basis for understanding not only what it means to be human, but what it takes to be human. I, I'm not trying to, to modify your opening, but to the points that I uh, think were well laid out in Darren's opening. And uh, with that, I look forward to, to hearing your opening. Um, what do you think? Let's get all right. started. Uh, all right, yeah. Thanks for the opening, Darren. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for agreeing to host this. Uh, yeah, a lot of said, and there's a lot to pick apart in, in that opening statement because I believe there's a lot of assumptions that are thrown in into the language itself and the structure. But all right, uh, this is my opening statement. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ, it's the Apostle Paul. So when we talk about an abortion, uh, first of all, we need to define what it is. What, what, like if someone was visiting, for instance, for, from another planet and they're like, what is this human practice called abortion? And you were asked to give them a definition. Um, the basic definition would be, uh, I'm gonna read from, I'm not gonna try and be biased. I'm gonna read it from the Planned Parenthood website itself, uh, just so that I'm not uh, guilty of uh, inserting my own view into into the call. So an abortion is is the termination of a pregnancy, uh, and it's meant to uh, end the life of the developing human in the in the womb of the mother. Um, so. Why is this such a controversial issue in the first place? Why, why are people getting angry at each other? Why are people uh, screaming at each other in the streets? Why there's so much controversy with laws? And the answer to that is because this is an emotional issue. It's an ethical issue. It's not, it's not just a biological debate. Like, it's, are you right or are you wrong? It has to do with what humans uh, think about what's right and what's wrong. And if we're going to go into the nitty gritty of like facts versus opinions. I generally agree that facts matter more than opinions. So if someone says, um, I don't think a fetus is a human, that is an opinion because you've pre prefaced the statement with I think. A statement of fact is this is what this is. So in terms of what a human life is like when does a human life begin a human life begins at the moment of conception this is a fact this is not up for debate it is not uh as far as i know scientists do not debate among themselves when does human life begin human life begins at the moment of fertilization because that's when the man's sperm and the woman's egg meet and a human life is formed so based on this how do we how do we figure this all out like all right, that's happened and what's going on? Where's the controversy? Um, as far as I've been able to glean while I was preparing for this, is people say, like, as we've heard in the opening statement, my personal body autonomy trumps your right to life. 
but I'd just like to challenge the audience for a second to think about the last 18 months, whether that statement is true. If you think about the last 18 months, you'll find that that statement itself is not true because what happened? Uh, March 2020, uh, COVID-19 is all over the it's all over the world. People are told, stay home, save lives. Uh, Facebook comes out with an ad campaign said, like you can put it on your profile picture. Uh, stay home, save lives, please wear a mask. You don't have to travel. You don't have to go to the supermarket if you don't need to. Uh, healthcare workers are heroes because they're out there uh, putting lives at risk. Everyone please pitch in. For two weeks, we're going to stay home so that we can preserve human life. At that stage, we didn't know that much about what the COVID-19 virus was about. All we knew was that it was a respiratory virus and it made people, older people, uh, like it affected older people significantly more than it did uh, the rest of the population. So the what I recall from the entire scenario was that uh, people in Italy, older folks were suffering the most. And so it was important that people stayed at home and, and limited their interactions with their loved ones who were older. And so that was the narrative, right? That was what happened. And so what did we do? All of us, in a sense, had our lives changed. If we wanted to go to school, if we wanted to go to work, wanted to go to concerts, we wanted to travel, our bodily autonomy was kept back. We were not allowed to do with our bodies what we wanted to do because there was a virus that could possibly kill lots of people. That's, that's what happened. So as we grew in more knowledge and understood what was going on, uh, restrictions started to be lifted. And now as heard, now it's okay, take the vaccine. That's how you save someone's life. And that's a whole different topic entirely. But the point is the whole world, people in general know that uh, when it comes to weighing up the right to life versus someone's uh, uh, your right to liberty, I'm sorry, your right to liberty versus someone's right to life. Right to life always wins. You do not uh, sacrifice someone's, someone else's life uh, so that you can have uh, convenience. And that's what some people did actually. Um, April, there were people who were marching in the streets uh, saying, I need a haircut. Um, the barbershop is not opening. Uh, I should be able to do what I want. That was after like a month of all this happening. Uh, and so people who did that, they were called kvits. Like these were people who were thinking of themselves. They were like, this is inconveniencing me. We need to open things up. And universally, almost like, it was very remarkable to see. People were like, these people are wrong. Every, there was no uh, debate. It wasn't like, oh, these people are acting rightly. Because at the time, they were doing something that was wrong. They were doing something that was endangering someone else's lives. And universally, people agreed that was wrong. When it comes to abortion, we have right to life versus right to liberty. Two people come together, they have actual intercourse, and an indi individual human life is produced. That is a fact. That is not an opinion. And so do we apply the same principles that we apply when we're uh, dealing with each other to that situation. And I feel like someone who says that we do and, uh, and supports abortion is being inconsistent because even in something as 
experiential as COVID-19. We had to restrict our liberties so that we could potentially save people's lives. We did not, uh, everyone did not just do what they wanted, which I feel is what uh, the pro-choice side, pro-abortion side says is the case. It isn't the case. Like anyone who thinks about the 18 months, and I'm pretty sure this is universal, this has affected everyone on the planet, knows that there are things that they wanted to do that they didn't do because it was not safe to do so according to the science. Another aspect of this is that, okay, what, what does it mean? So what does it mean to be a human being? Um, that's, that's a philosophical question. It's an ethical question, it's a religious question, um, but as scientifically, because this is a scientific conversation mostly, a human being, a human being's life starts the moment that uh, fertilization happens. And when that happens, you have a unique person with their own specific set of DNA. And from what I learned from geneticists is that it is possible uh, to isolate cells and, and examine cells in a zygote or in an embryo to see what kind of hair color a person will have, what kind of uh, eye color they'll have, whether this person can even have uh, autism in the future. Um, so when I read uh, scientific papers, so for instance, I'm gonna read one and I'm, I'm sure it's gonna be in the show notes. There's a link to it. And it talks about human brain development. It says human brain development starts soon after conception and continues into early adulthood. So what does that mean? It means like the second the sperm meets the egg and, and fertilization happens, human brain development starts. It's not like that unique human being there stays dormant. And then at some point, maybe like, I think we've heard uh, uh, the 16th week or something, and their brain, the brain starts developing. That's not true. By the ninth week, the brain is already, it's appearing as small. So from the moment that someone uh, is conceived to the moment that they give birth to the day that they die, their brain is always developing. So an argument being made that we are able to, uh, uh, we should be able to end the life of someone because their brain isn't developed enough is just illogical. It's not human. It's not, it goes against all natural forms of how we even uh, conduct ourselves in society. We do not kill children because they're not, uh, brain, the brains aren't fully developed till they're 25. We don't kill teenagers or infants. We don't do this in our society. I know in the past, that's what they did. But if we're gonna talk about ethics and morals, these are specific issues that need to be addressed. And thankfully now uh, we have the technology to examine what happens inside a, a fetus's brain. Uh, in the womb, we see what happens. Um, in the ancient world, smart people like Aristotle used to say, well, after conception, yeah, they used to believe that a human like life does begin a conception, but you should be able to have an abortion because they thought that a soul, like when the, the human actually becomes a person is after 40 days. So Aristotle said that men gain their souls after 40 days, women after 90 days. Aristotle is a smart guy. Like, I mean, if you're talking about him 3000 years after his death, he probably, he definitely had smart things to say, but that's not true. Uh, 
because he did he didn't know what he was simply a man of his time he did not know what happened in the womb exactly he knew that there was a life in there but he was uh giving his opinion and while his opinion might have seemed great because of the type of man he was he was wrong and so now that we have the facts now that we know what happens inside a womb from the moment of conception to the point that the child is brought forth into the world now that we know that our decisions have to be more informed we cannot rely on fiction we cannot say that the person in there does not have a developing brain or that they do not have uh, conscious thought or spectral reasoning because children uh, let me be correct fetuses in the womb react to sound they react to music they react to the environment outside of themselves pregnant women sing to their children to lull them to sleep um, if a child in there is feeling angsty and they start kicking the woman's womb the woman doesn't say i'm kicking myself no the child is kicking them because it's not it's not their body anymore it's 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 an oh, it's an individual in there it's not it's not like the it's not like a cavity or like a, a cell that's just kind of just popped up out of nowhere. Um, so in conclusion, right to life always trumps right to liberty. This is, we've all experienced this in the last 18 months. Uh, we know this inherently because if we didn't, we would not be having this conversation to begin with. Um, in closing, when a man has sex with a woman, uh, how many like this is just perhaps you don't know this or you knew you do know this but uh, you might not like have thought about the implications of it but like when a man has sex with a woman and ejaculates to the woman's womb how many sperm do you think are released at one level the answer to that is not a hundred you might think it's a thousand you might even think it's a million but depending on fertility and the age man between 30 to 60 to 100 million sperm get released at, at a given go anytime a man ejaculates into a woman while having sexual intercourse this means that when people are having sex there is a strong desire by nature itself biologically to produce life you might think that's overkill why do you need that many sperm when the there's not that many uh ovum in the, in the woman's womb. Well, that's nature. That's how, that's what sex is meant to be about. And so that's the primary purpose of sex. Uh, I believe that a woman who is perhaps contemplating having an abortion has to perhaps think about the implications of what their action has on society and also on themselves. Because what we talk about when we talk about uh, what is right and what is wrong is we think about, we don't think primarily about ourselves. We think about the sort of obligations that we have to other people. A woman has an obligation to her offspring. A man has an obligation to take care of her wife and their child. And so this is, this is how society thrives. This is how society works. And it is important that as a society, we strive to be consistent in our thinking. Thank you.
Okay. Making sure I was uh, not still on mute. So, Darren, there's a there's a lot there, and we're going to move now from opening statements to a more conversational form uh, between the two of you. But, Mac, there were some interesting points uh, brought up there. Uh, one was the comparison of abortion to uh, a matter of convenience. Darren, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Um, there's the, the idea that Aristotle uh, got it wrong and that we actually have uh, we actually have hard data uh, for life and and maybe a soul. I, I think we need to get into that a lot more. Um, and what about our actions? Does a does a society that includes the possibility of abortion uh, naturally mean that we're not carefully considering our own actions and that our societies somehow will thrive as a result of inclusion of abortion as a legal matter? Darren, uh, you've probably got some other thoughts, but those are points that I hope get addressed um, as we start the back and forth. So I'll, I'll hand it back to you, and uh, you guys feel free to chat um, without without me driving the conversation. Okay, so I missed a little bit of the uh, what Mac was saying because my internet's crap, um, but. Um, I did catch the that life starts of fertilization. MacTac, you had said that that's not a controversial thing in the sciences. That's actually not entirely accurate. Um, it is kind of controversial um, in the sciences. Um, there are, if you're talking to like a geneticist, uh, he'll say that um, as soon as the six day fertilization process happens, um, then you've got a, an individual human there. But keep in mind that I wasn't talking about human, I was talking about a person. Um, so if you have a specific line of argumentation that only works for humans and not people, then that's not really going to address what I was saying because I wasn't really referencing human, I was re referencing um, persons. Um, and the reason I reference persons rather than humans is because um, if we have aliens that come down and aren't human, I don't think anyone's going to say that they're not persons and don't have rights just because they're not human. Um, so that's why I focus on persons rather than human. Um, another reason is because um, once a person's brain uh, becomes brain dead at the end of their life, we no longer consider that a person with a human with rights. Um, all the stuff is taken away from them and given to other people. They're put in the ground and generally ignored. What respect we do give to them is mostly for the people that are surviving and not for the, the body. Um, so if that's going to be our indication for when a human is no longer a person going that way, then it makes sense to use the same indication going the other direction. Well, can I ask you, can I ask you a question straight up? Um, do you know what happens when a woman is forced to deliver a stillborn child? How do you mean? Like, for instance, let's say a woman is pregnant and she goes to the doctor and they do the ultrasound and the doctor says, I'm sorry, your child died 
few days ago. Do you, are you aware of what happens afterwards? You mean, I'm assuming they removed the, the stillborn from the woman? Yes, and then what happens after, after that? I don't know. Depends right. on depends on the uh, the person that uh, the family would imagine. Well, here's medically what, what happens in a hospital when a woman has to deliver a stillborn child. Um, you're saying they're not a person, but medically, when a woman has to deliver a stillborn child, it's a very traumatic experience. It's a uh, it's actually pretty awful. Like when I was reading about it, I was I was actually taken aback by how much like how ignorant I was about this whole situation because I usually just used to think it was clear cut, but it isn't, it's a very emotional issue. So I'm gonna, I'm reading from a website called tommys.org and it goes about what happens when a woman has to deliver uh, a stillborn child. So what happens is they, uh, depending on the woman's preferences, they will have her either come back and, and tell her, okay, we're going to deliver your baby for you. Uh, you can either get a C-section or you could deliver the baby naturally. And this is traumatic for the women because, you know, you are expecting to bring a human life into existence, but now you have to bring in a dead baby. And the medical procedure is that you are, um, you're told, let's deliver the baby. The baby comes out. Uh, the nurses take a picture of the baby. They clean him up, him or her and uh, they dress him up and they go to the woman and they say, do you want to see pictures of your baby? Um, and what they generally found was that if the woman, like it helps for the woman to be able to even hold their dead child in their hands because that makes it, uh, it's sort of cathartic for them. It makes them uh, appreciate the moment. Uh, so if, if you would allow me, I'm gonna read just one uh, okay, but before I allow you, what's okay. the relevance to the, of this? The relevance to this is because you're saying uh, when a fetus is in the womb, they're not a person. But like when I, re when I look into the medical procedure, because I was wondering like, okay. Actually, I didn't say that when they were in the womb, they're not a person. You said, but you said they're a human, right? I said that, um, well, I didn't mention human at all because I'm, Based on personhood, not human, and there we know what the brain structure looks like of a of uh, someone that's fits the definition of personhood, as we've defined it. And the fetus before a certain age, before twenty weeks, doesn't match that definition. But a fetus after twenty starts uh, matching that definition in various ways. So I'm not talking about if they're in the womb, they're not a person. I never said that. So when do they become a person? Like. I'm not, I'm, I feel like I'm not understanding what, because it sounds like to me, you're saying, okay, yeah, they're a human, but they're not a person because they don't have enough brain development. And I don't want to misrepresent you, but that's what I'm hearing. Uh, we have, we have the definition of personhood that has been handed down to us from different philosophers over the centuries. And so by that uh, definition, we, uh, we know um, enough about how the brain works to know whether the fetus matches that definition or not. So the uh, we can we know the brain structures how they work and if they're working properly and connected, whether they are actually producing the 
those flags that have been defined as personhood. But you're aware that there are people who are born with brain defects and like they're born prematurely. Are those, are those people still people? Yes, because they don't match that definition. Definition of brain development. Yes. Uh, reaching us. So, so you're saying, so what I'm trying to ascertain is where do you draw the line? You're saying 20 weeks is when someone officially becomes a person. I'm saying that the science, uh, the reality that we have discovered to be true about how the human body works tells us that 20 weeks is the absolute minimum that actually not 20 weeks, but 24 weeks is the absolute minimum that uh, the fetus will match the definition of personhood as to, given down to us through the uh, ages of philosophers, yes. Philosophy is what trumps the science of what happens in development between. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. What 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 are you saying? Because I, again, I'm saying that the philosophers have given us the definition of personhood, which, which and the science has been able to tell whether the fetus has meet, met that definition or not. Which philosophers? I looked at probably a half dozen, as well as the uh, Stanford. Uh, dictionary of philosophy and sort of compiled all the different definitions so that I had all, you know, some of them don't include all of them that I mentioned. Some of them only have one or two. Some of them uh, contain all of the things that I mentioned, but uh, I tried to get as expansive as I could so that I could incorporate all the definitions that I was aware of. So you believe like Aristotle that men and women are different. They, they get different, like they get different personhoods different times like a man i'm pretty sure i didn't say that well because like i'm asking because you're saying we get this from philosophers but you're not naming anyone i can't cross-reference i can't i don't know who you're talking about i i like we're talking about science here right and so when we talk about science we also include the medical field like what happens in reality versus like what happens in the philosophical ether so what i'm trying to describe here is what happens when a woman has to deliver a child before term and what happens is they take the baby out, uh, they clean him up. Uh, okay, and how is that relevant? It's relevant because the, the baby, right, is being treated as a person even before the fact well, that- Well, the, the body is being treated as a person. That doesn't mean that it actually is a person, right? That, I, that doesn't let make sense. Point out, let me point out for the listeners that we are all over the map on the development of a fetus from the moment of conception to the potential moment of birth nine months later. And what is done uh, with a fetus at one stage of development in a clinical setting may not be what's done with a fetus at another stage of development uh, if it is aborted. And so as you guys are, are kicking this back and forth, I think it's useful to uh, sort of pin down the time frame yeah. that you're talking about so that so that we're not comparing uh, the abortion of a fetus at four weeks to the to an abortion at uh, after 26 weeks or even 24 weeks, which is currently, I think, the age of survivability. And uh, I, I take that as being quite important. I, I don't want to interrupt your conversation, but I would like for you to uh, be a little more careful about the time frames that you're talking about so that the conversation uh, stays a little more precise. All right. Uh, what, what I was saying is this, that even if it's this, you shouldn't be able to kill, abort your child any point 
between zero weeks to the moment that they're born. And so what I'm trying to find out is what does Darren think? Does, does Darren think that after 20 weeks, it's, it becomes morally wrong to kill the child? That's what I'm trying to find out. I think that a person's bodily, uh, we cannot force another one person to give up their organs and health to another person, even if it helps them survive. Well, so even if you want to, if, even if you want to claim that the fetus is a person, then I believe that we cannot force one person to give up their body for another. And I don't believe that anything, uh, the fetus below 24 weeks is even a person because they do not have the brain structure to even be counted as a person. So when does, when did, okay, when did it become wrong to kill you individual, as an individual? At what stage of your development? I'm not entirely sure how that's relevant to what I said. Because you're you're saying you're saying uh, they're not a person until they have proper brain development. Is that right? Yeah. At what point did I say that the that the fetus never has a right to life? No, no. I'm I'm asking you a question so that I can find out what you're saying. I'm not. Okay. So go ahead and repeat the question then, please. All right. When does it become morally wrong to kill someone in the womb at what state what is there a week day that's all i'm asking if the woman uh doesn't hasn't given consent to the fetus to use her body then it never becomes immoral to remove the fetus from the woman's body so if i'm understanding this correctly you're saying a woman can decide to get an abortion up to nine months, and that is not immoral. Well, after I think it's twenty-four weeks when the um, when the um, fetus is viable, if the woman uh, doesn't want to share her body more, they do a delivery rather than an abortion. Doesn't want to share her body. Yeah, I, I, I understand what that means. Um, so you're saying it's up to the woman to decide. Uh, when they want this human to get out. So it's, it's, it's up to the woman, pretty much, right? It's her body, so yes. Well, again, that's not scientifically accurate. It is not her body because when the child is kicking in there, it's not the woman doesn't say, I'm kicking myself. You, you're aware of that, right? So the, the woman's body is not her body? No, I'm saying the child in the, when she, when the child in there, needs to so why do women when they're pregnant go to the bathroom a lot is it it's not because they're the ones uh needing to go to the bathroom it's the child and so that influences what happens but it's a different body in there you acknowledge that right i thought it was fairly clear yeah the the fetus is if you're going to count it as a person then the fetus is using the woman's body correct and the woman has uh, can give that fetus permission to use her body or not use her, that body as she chooses, because it's her body. So a person has the right to kill another person based on if they decide they don't want to have that person in their womb anymore? Yes, All right. because it's the woman's body. She gets to decide who makes use of her body. She has control over her own body. Another person does not have rights over her body. Is there a similar example of that happening in real life? How do you mean? 
like we're talking abortion, right? You're saying that's ethical. Like someone decide, I don't want someone using my body for my for their purposes. Um, is there a similar instance in reality uh, that, that matches that? Well, you can't take someone off the streets and force them to give up their organs for another person, even if it's to keep them alive. Okay. But how how is that? Like, how is that an analogous to an abortion? Because it seems like you're comparing apples to oranges. You're, you're taking a situation where two people have sex and a child is conceived, and you're saying at any point that the woman Well, decides, the, pe the people having sex is irrelevant to the question. No, well, I haven't asked my question. I'm, I'm just wondering, you're saying a woman can decide to, to kill the baby, the fetus inside the womb at any point from between zero weeks and nine months, right? If the fetus is using the woman's body and the woman does not uh, consent to having her body used, then yes. Then yes. Okay. So then this the stuff about brain development is relevant then because... Well, it's relevant in that this assumes that the fetus is actually a person. But the but fetus yeah. isn't a person, as the science um, indicates. So uh, if we're going to give the fetus more rights to the woman's body than the one she the woman herself has, then we have to fully understand what's being said there. Because you're saying that a, that a fetus that is not a person, they may be human, but they're not a person, has more rights to the woman's body than the woman herself does. But that's, that's just not true because, again, you, you're kind of being inconsistent. You're saying, okay, they're a person when they have proper, their bare minimum brain development at 20 weeks, but then you're saying, okay, a fetus is not a person. Because I don't think I said that. But... Well, we can roll the tape back. We'll find that you did say that. Anyone listening can see that Matt, because, hold, hold yeah. So, so maybe what would help here is for you to make affirmative counter case. If, if the woman doesn't have the right to her own body at some point, um, I, I'd like to know where that point is. Uh, does she have the right to say no uh, during sexual intercourse? Is uh, after sexual intercourse, if, if she does have the right to say no all the way through sexual intercourse, but then after intercourse, um, there's, there's this moment where she doesn't know she's pregnant. Um, can she go take the morning after pill? Uh, and, and if not, why not? At, at what point do you say that uh, a woman loses her right to her own body if you think Darren is wrong? I think that will... I think that will help clear up this uh, help clear up this point and, and maybe help the two of you move the conversation forward. No one no one has absolute bodily autonomy of their body. First of all, that that's, okay, a, that's not what I asked though. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm answering I'm answering okay. a question. Sorry. Okay, uh, go ahead. Uh, no, right, yeah. right, I'm answering the question. All right. So absolute autonomy. I do not have the right to do what I want anytime I want. If I don't want if if I want to walk around nude in my neighborhood, I can't do that. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put in jail, even though I'm not physically hurting anyone. I do not have absolute autonomy of my body. Likewise, any person, any woman does not have absolute autonomy of her body, even if she's pregnant, because ultimately that's not her, like after fertilization happens and there's another body in there, uh, that woman has a duty. It's not either, it's not either oh, a worship oh, or death. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me just ask the question again. I'm not, I don't want to be in the middle of the debate, but the specific question that I asked that I'm hoping you'll answer so that the two of you can move on. Uh, 
is when does she lose that right? So at some point after sexual intercourse, a woman may not know that she's pregnant, but may think that she is. Does she at any point have the right to go and do something like uh, take a morning after pill? Or is the woman confined after sex at, at, uh, at, every, uh, at every period after sexual intercourse? Is she bound by the idea that she might be pregnant and that she has lost the right to do anything with her body that might count her pregnancy? That, that's my question. Well, the answer to that is yes, because pregnant women, after they're pregnant, they lose lots of rights like. Now, why uh, do they lose these rights? Well, I'm answering the question, Derek. You cannot smoke or drink alcohol or even coffee when you're pregnant. Why? Well, because it affects the child in the womb. That's just a fact. It's plastered all over 7-Elevens and Walmarts everywhere. Pregnant women, please refrain from drinking alcohol while, you, while you're pregnant. Why, why is that the case? Because they have lost, like, it's not that they've lost it, but they're suspending it for the sake of another human being. They're not losing it inherently. They do not lose the right. So it still becomes an issue of like, all right, you have rights to life versus right to liberty. And no one has absolute autonomy of their body. This is just a fact. It's true, even with the COVID example, when you were talking about wearing a mask or getting a vaccine, if someone were to make this same argument that you're making back to you, you would disagree with them. So my answer to Andrew's question is, no one has absolute autonomy and she doesn't lose it. She suspends her autonomy for the sake of another human life. And that generally is how we determine what's moral and what's not moral. And why does she not have rights over her own body? Why does the fetus get those rights? Okay, well, you'd have to answer why is it wrong for a woman not to drink alcohol? Like if you were walking around and you saw a woman who is visibly pregnant and she had a bottle of whiskey in her hand, what would you say to her? Well, it doesn't matter what I would say. She doesn't actually lose the right to do it. She's just encouraged not to. So it's fine, right, for her to do I that? I didn't say that. Well, I said well, that she didn't lose the right to do it, but that she's encouraged not to. All right, that doesn't answer the question because I'm asking. Is well, that we're talking about rights here. So if you're not yeah, referencing yeah. rights, then you're not actually addressing the actual issue. In a legal context, right, can she, she can't be punished for drinking alcohol, right, while she's uh, pregnant. Right, because of the body autonomy, bodily autonomy uh, rights that she has. Right. But what happens when a woman drinks alcohol while she's pregnant? Then it, uh, it depends, actually. It depends yeah. on what? A lot of things. Sometimes okay. it'll affect the fetus, sometimes it won't. It won't? Sometimes, yeah. That's generally not true because that's not true at all, actually. And again, I bet the audience can look this up for themselves. Women are not supposed to drink alcohol because it affects the child severely. And it gives well, they're not, they're encouraged not to because it has a chance of affecting the, what chance? the fetus. Are you aware of the percentages? I am, I haven't looked it up, no. Right. Well, I would encourage you to look it up so that you might abandon that idea that it, it might, because it does significantly. And so because 
a woman after she's pregnant, she cannot do what she wants. She cannot go run a, run a marathon. She cannot compete in the Olympics if she wants to. She cannot, uh, in some cases, she can't even drive. So that, that comes with the pregnancy. And I'm saying the woman not being able to do these things doesn't mean that she's losing the right to do these things. It's that she's suspending the right to do the things because there is another human life in her that is developing. Is that clear? Right, but you haven't you haven't said why the fetus gets more rights to her body than she does. I've never I never said more rights. They have the same rights inherently. I'm saying well, I I can't take rights. you off the street and take your organs from you to save my life. So if I don't have the rights and the fetus does have the right to take the woman's um, organs and use them to keep itself alive, then obviously it has more rights than I do, right? That's a false equivalence because you're saying that the fetus is like a kidnapper. They're not. It's not the same situation because in so the fetus isn't using the woman's uh, organs. They are, but like you're okay. So then, how is it a false equivalency? What's the main purpose of a womb? What's its primary purpose? Well, the main purpose of a heart is to be uh, to be blood through the system. But if I take yours away from you, and use it for myself to keep myself alive, then does that mean that it's okay because the the primary purpose of the heart is to be blood? I'm asking what the purpose of a womb is, not what the purpose of a heart is. Oh, because you say purpose, just to, uh, just what, to make sure that we're not going to get tangled up in to get tangled up in not using a word the same way. When you say purpose of the womb, what do you mean by purpose? Are you talking about what's, an overriding design kind of purpose it, or are you using purpose? I'm using it like what's functional? Okay. What does it do right. in a woman's body? Do men have wombs? No, they don't. But like I'm asking, what what's what's the purpose of a womb in a in a woman? What what does it do? What's what's it there for? Okay, the, uh, so sorry, I was just gonna say the uterus is there to feed a a fetus, but the go. fetus then the fetus is using that organ, that woman's organ, to keep itself alive. So you keep saying it's a false equivalency, but I'm still yet to see how it's a false equivalency. Because you're asserting that someone has rights, right? Someone has a right, a stranger off the street has the same right as a, as a fetus has a right to the womb, but that's, that's a false. Okay, so what, so what rights to the womb does the fetus have? Why does it have that to that womb? Right, there are lots of homeless children in my city. Um, I have a responsibility uh, to feed the children in my household. If I do not feed the children in my household, they will die. And the government will come and knock on my door and say, we, you're going to jail. But if I do not feed the children in my city, uh, and there's millions of them, I will not go to jail because these are children who are not under my care. Conversely, a woman who has a child growing in her womb has a responsibility to that child and a biological responsibility uh and in, uh, an well, we're not talking responsibilities here we're talking yes, rights we we're talking yeah we're talking about rights and, and they're tied to responsibilities because i can't come and kill you if i feel like it if i feel like you will have right and why and why can't you come and kill me because i have bodily autonomy right no that's not the reason that's not the underlying reason. Why did we go kill Nazis in the Second World War? Is it because they had bodily autonomy? No, it's because other things overrode their uh, right to life. There we go. 
you answered the question then. Yes, I did. Yeah, you answered your own question there. Because no, people, I didn't. I said that you're, that, you're they, they, that other things overrode their right to life, just like I'm saying that other things overrides the fetus's right to life. Other things being what? Convenience? If that's this consent of the woman, whatever that, whatever the reason for that may be. So I can come and kill you if, if I feel that it's going to be convenient for me. No, because then you would be, because uh, uh, your rights and your right to swing your fist ends at my nose. Right. And during an abortion, why is the fetus's right to life not important? Because the fetus is using uh, the woman's body against her consent. So I can kill the children in my house because they're kind of using my resources, right? Your resources are a part of your body? No, well, what's the difference? Because it, it doesn't matter either so way. So you don't know the difference between a jug of milk and your body? No, I'm saying, there's a, well, why are you creating a distinction where there isn't? You're saying that it's okay for one human to decide that I want to kill this human that's using up my stuff. And I, no, I'm saying that one human can decide, give consent for another human to use their body. Wait, I'm sorry, say that again? I'm saying that a human has the right to deny consent of another person using their body. And where does this right, like, I feel like you're still not getting what I'm saying because I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, why is that the case? Like, why are you saying that you Why have wouldn't the, it be the case? The, well, what gives what the fetus more rights to the woman's body than she has? Again, we are going back in circles because I already said the fetus doesn't have more rights. I'm well, saying you're that that what you're describing is more rights. Equal rights. And I'm no, saying that you're not describing what? equal rights. Yes, I am. I already explained it because I said, again, what I said, Andrew, just a second, what I said is that the woman suspends her rights for the sake of the fetus. I so said if that, she's suspending her rights, that means the fetus has more rights to her body than she does. That's not what that, okay. Okay, you, okay, All right. so that, uh, Mac, I'm going to shelf here. All right. We've, we've spent some time on this. I think, I think both positions are very clear. I'm going to try to help us uh, carve a path out of this particular thicket. And I'm going to ask uh, uh, about something that you said a minute ago, Mac. It had to do with, with purpose. Uh, I thought it was an interesting point. You, you said, what is the purpose of a womb? And it, it seems to me that there are a couple of possibilities here that a womb uh, has uh, sort of an extrinsic purpose, a, a purpose extrinsic to, uh, to the individual. And, and that ground would have to be defended, that there's some extrinsic purpose to wounds, or that every person that has a wound decides what that purpose is. Uh, and, and that purpose might be to have children, it might also be not to have children. And, and so to, to get us out of this particular back and forth, maybe I can ask both of you to talk about purpose. Okay, it looks like I'm gonna to have to edit silence over that question. All right, no, I was just, I, I didn't know, is it my turn to speak? Uh, sure. I thought I thought the question was directed at Max, so that's why I was. 
Well, either either one of you, I'm, I'm happy to let either of you answer, but we have a purpose question here. Uh, what's the purpose of a womb and do we capitalize the P in purpose or not? Um, so who gets to purpose the womb? Well, it, it has a basic biological function and that is to rear a child. Like gestation period is nine months, so the child is allowed to develop in there and then after nine months, if everything goes smoothly, they exit the womb and they continue their development as a human being, as a different uh, part of our species, as our part of our kin. So the womb has, has a primary purpose that is to provide an, a safe environment for the child. And that's why there's amniotic fluid that, that comes about that stops like if a woman gets unfortunately punched in the stomach and it's like the amni amniotic fluid absorbs that so that the child is kept safe and all these phenomena that are going in there to keep the child safe. And someone is, uh, so if someone comes along and says, you know, well, doesn't really have a purpose. It's just, you know, like I can decide what purpose it has and that that's not even biologically, right? You can't, you can't biologically decide what happened to your body. It's not like if I eat bad food, well, biologically, my body is going to decide what happens. And, and it's not like I can't be like, I can't, I didn't, I don't consent to this because my body has biological functions. If I go out without a mask or without a vaccine and I interact with people and I get sick, I can't say, well, I didn't consent to getting sick because that's biologically, you do not have the power to control what happens in nature. Like if you do, if you partake in a biological act and consequences come about and someone is saying that, well, I did not consent to biological processes in my body, that that's just not logical. And, and I feel that's where most of the argument comes from. So Darren, what about the difference between uh, function and purpose? What, what are your thoughts? Um, purpose is one of those wiggly words that I generally try to avoid because it means so many different things. Um, I'm happy with the uh, max definition of a function for it. Um, I just don't think that his comparison of uh, function and consent are relevant to the discussion because um, because consent is about actions and what you're going to be doing and what other people are doing to you. Um, and I mean, sure, you can not consent to be, being sick all you like, um, and you can still get sick, but that doesn't mean you're still not um, uh, that it doesn't mean you're suddenly consenting to being sick. It just means that you can't really do anything about that. But you're saying in the case of abortion, you can do something about it, so you should. If if you get if you remove your consent to use your body um, for someone else to be using your body, then yeah, you should. So you give consent, and then your body gives biological consent. And then well, your body doesn't get, there's no such thing as biological consent. But uh, that, your biology is just chemistry. It's, there's nothing about consent in there. So consent is like an immaterial concept that humans have. Well, consent is one person giving another person permission to do what they're doing to them. So is it a material concept is what I'm asking. Like, can I test consent? Like level of consent? Is that, is that something I can do? Uh, I would suppose so. You just ask someone if they've given consent or not. So it's it's 
either or, right? It's either 100% consent or 0%. It's never, it's never like 50%, like, yeah, I'm kind of sure. Yeah, I kind of give consent. Is that, is that still consent? It's not usually when people are talking about uh, consent, it's usually 100% or nothing. Um, and if they're unsure about it, then it's better to um, presume that they're not giving consent because if they're unsure about it, then they're not actively saying yes, they're sort of wiffle waffling, waffling about it. So you have to be 100% sure when you're giving consent, right? For each to count, because you can't be like 50-50 about or 60-40 about what you're agreeing to, right? I would say that would be the best way to go, um, just so there are no regrets later on, yeah. All right. So Matt, um, you're driving toward a point there that um, that it's possible for us to have a range of emotions about a decision. I, I think that's I think that's true. So how does this, in your mind, uh, inform us about uh, about the right to an abortion? Inform us in in what way specifically? That's sort of my question. Um, you've asked about whether consent has to be 100% uh, or whether there's some value less than 100% that, uh, that is acceptable when making a decision. Um, but presumably, you don't, you don't support the notion that um, if a woman felt 100% certain that she wanted an abortion, that would be uh, that would be grounds for the abortion. So I'm, I'm trying to understand from your view, um, what consent, are, are you just talking about the act of sex? You're asking- What are you driving at with consent? Well, I'm, I'm trying to point to the fact that biologically, even in things that we do, if we make choices, certain choices, there are gonna be certain consequences. So the people who unfortunately died last year uh, when they chose to like, I saw like an article on Unbelievable or something like this, this pastor was like, COVID is fake, blah, blah, blah. And then he ended up passing away. And then I'm looking at the comments and people are saying, well, he deserved it because he kind of made that choice when something, so him dying is kind of the consequence of his choice. And so coming back to abortion, like, and I know this is a super sensitive topic and it honestly should be talked about more with more care. And I'm gonna try to do that more in the future. When it comes to abortion, it's like, it's the same thing biologically when people have sex, even if you're saying, oh, I'm not trying to get pregnant. That's still, that's not, I mean, that's not even realistic because we set targets all the time for things we're going to do in a day. Like Darren was talking about how he procrastinates and like he probably at some point in the past said, okay, I'm going to get my sources, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do things systematically and this is how they're going to go. But then it didn't happen. And so that's also what happens when people say, okay, I'm going to have sex and I'm going to have birth control and I'm going to make sure I'm taking the pills that I need to take. And then they get pregnant and then they're like, I didn't consent to this. Well, if you do certain actions that have biological implications and you're aware of the bi biological implications, I don't think lots of people know uh, just how much risk they're taking when having sex, even if they're on birth control. You are actually, if, if, you, if you allow uh, ejaculation to take place inside you, like you are allowing millions, hundreds of millions of sperm to go inside you and fertilize an egg. That's what happens. That's 
I, I don't think any amount of protocol you may be able to stem, but ultimately, that's what comes with the action itself. And this isn't to say that I'm, I'm going to try and call people reckless, but that's just what happens. That's just a fact of life. It's not okay. An hold on, hold on. We're we're there. There's a lot said there that needs to be pulled apart. So, um, Darren, talk a little bit about sexual intercourse uh, and ejaculation, and, and as Mike put it, um, because at least as far as I'm aware, uh, it's not the case that every act of sex, even in reproductively healthy adults, can always result in pregnancy. So I think, I think we've got to be a little careful about talking about risk. So from your view, um, talk about risk in regard to pregnancy. Um, I would agree with Mac. Um, there is a risk when you have a pregnancy when you have sex. Um, it has nothing to do with consent or someone else using your body or anything else like that, but sure, there is a risk. Um, and people should try to mitigate it as much as possible. In fact, one of the most effective things that the pro-life folks could do is to make sure that um, everyone has um, medically accurate sex education. Um, that has been shown empirically to be one of the biggest uh, um, ways to um, stop teen pregnancy and uh, abortions. If, you, if they were really serious about wanting to stop abortions and medically accurate sex education should be at the top of the list because that is what's gonna uh, help mitigate a lot of these consequences. All right, um, you said stop abortions. Why, why should abortions be stopped? Why does it? I don't it. think abortions necessarily should be stopped. I'm, just saying that if your goal is to stop abortions, then um, you shouldn't be um, worried about it after the sex has happened. You should be tackling the problem before the sex even happens to make sure that people are as safe as possible, to, that they're, they're using condoms, that they're doing everything in their power to actually mitigate the, the risks involved. All right, well, I agree with you in the sense that I do feel like sexual ethics is a better, like understanding what sex actually is, helps people make better decisions about what, before they have sex. But my question is, you you, you just said, um, you don't want abortions to stop, but that's, that's kind of an outlier opinion, actually. When I was researching this, like most people actually do say, I, I would rather live in a world where less abortions have. Are you saying that you, you're perfectly fine with abortions happening in the world? I don't believe I said that, no. Um, I'm, asking, I'm asking you. I'm, I'm not saying you did, I'm just asking. No, I, uh, I would be perfectly happy if um, no abortions had to be done at all. Um, but that still doesn't make the moral weight of a bodily autonomy of the woman any less. Well, I'm, I'm kind of getting a disconnect there because so why why would you rather there be less abortions what's what's wrong with it is why because what what's your reasoning behind that um i don't necessarily have a reasoning for it 
um, it's uh, it's so, uh, an issue that has caused so much uh, societal harm, uh, just in the way that uh, women have been shamed and um, vilified for making choices about their own bodies. Um, that it would just be nice if it wasn't required anymore. Um, people would actually follow the science rather than um, these emotional pleas that aren't even uh, accurate to how reality works. Um, people were following the science, and the science says life begins at conception, right? And that the fetus. Well, the science yeah. actually doesn't say that, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm challenging you, right? I'm challenging you now to name a scientist who says life doesn't begin at conception. A lot of them. About the only people that you'll find that say life starts at conception, which conception is not an individual thing. It's like a six-day process. Um, so it's uh, there's a set of scientists that, like geneticists, that'll say, okay, we have the DNA, it's individual because you've got part of the mother and the father, and it's distinct from the, the mother. So that's what we're going to call life. And they're usually at the 14-day uh, mark after conception because that, um, that's when things like twins are no longer bound to happen. Um, but they're just talking about human biology. They're not talking about personhood. Uh, then you have other people that are, I want to say, are like 14 days after. And I forget. I say you got 14 days, you got like six, 14 days because of the twinning issues. Uh, you've got six days because of that's how about how long the fellation takes. And you've got some people that are at like uh, the 12 and 14 dates because or 12 or 14 weeks because of the uh, EEC. And then you've got uh, like the neuroscientists that are at the more like 24 week uh, because, of, um, because of the personhood issues. So, I mean, the science really is all over the place. Um, well, you can find you people, scientists that will say that uh, fertilization is the beginning of life, but they're normally just talking about individual DNA. They're not talking about personhood at that point. Well, so let me ask the two Oh, Matt, go ahead and answer, and then I've, I've got, I've got yeah, a question. I'll just say, I'll refer to the audience to look it up because I've been doing, I've been looking it up like seriously and listening to all kinds of books and trying to find a single scientist, a single neurologist who believes that life doesn't begin at conception because the unanimous, and it's unanimous, and the audience, again, can always just do it for themselves. Yeah, they Someone can. Decided, yeah, they can. I found all sorts of references I, I to it. So. agree. So when you just heard what happened, I challenged Dale, uh, Darren, sorry, to name a uh, scientist, just one, just a name, you know, like we can go look it up so that who says that life doesn't begin at conception. And we didn't hear any names. We just heard geneticists, neurologists, blah, blah, blah. And we didn't really hear any names. And that is the important thing about Well, to science. be fair, we haven't heard any names coming from you either, so. I, I did mention uh, that this study was done about um, the brain, the brain in in the child's like how brain development happens is by Lindsay Konkel. Um And again, there's going to be references at the end of the show. But if you're saying that they're scientists, well, I've got six pages of references that I gave I would, Andrew, I so people can find it there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we're we're dangerously close to ending up in a place where we become an internet chat room 
uh, rather than a recent debate up to this point. This has been a really good show and I want to thank you both. So I want to ask one more time and then I'm going to give both of you the opportunity to close and we're going to let the people lurking in the chat room ask some questions. Uh, but I, I just want to bring this back to a, a point that I think people get confused over and, and maybe we can get uh, a, a clear answer. I, I hope that we can. Is all life personhood? Because to say that life begins at conception, well, we hear that pretty commonly. And I'm not making an argument one way or the other, but it, but it seems to me that uh, this debate pivots on the difference between life and personhood, if there is a difference between life and personhood. And the further question about life is, does all life begin at the moment of the first cell division, well, actually at the moment that two haploids join, right, an ovum and a sperm, right? So does all life begin there? And if so, does all personhood begin there? Mac, are you saying yes? Not only does all life, but all life and all personhood begin at the moment of conception? I I, I have to. I know it's gonna sound like I'm dodging the question, but I, I there has to be a definition for personhood that What's the scientific definition of person? I'm asking you. That's what you were supposed to bring. Well, your I, definition of, of personhood. Okay. Right. So life begins at conception, fertilization. You have a unique human being there with their own set of DNA. And this, at the moment of conception, the human brain is already developing, right? So even if you think that that child is not really thinking about like philosophy or, or anything that we would call uh, conscious thoughts, that child it is still it's a human life like if you to ask a couple of biologists okay look at this zygote from a chimpanzee because it's zygote from a human they will be able to tell the difference if they can't then they're not good at their jobs so their personhood is inherent it begins the second that they are fertilized and and that's that's, that's reality that's that's it there um, the um, obviously they're not the same. Um, for one, the brain doesn't start growing at uh, conception. Uh, it actually doesn't start. Uh, the neural tubes uh, don't start closing till around week six or seven, at which point the brain separates into three into the three parts. Um, so you've got uh, some neurons that are there, but the brain itself doesn't actually start developing until about six weeks. Um, the so and you know there's no scientific de definition for personhood just because the science doesn't work that way. Um, it doesn't think that way. It has a different way of approaching the world. Um, but if you take the definition of personhood that we've gotten throughout the ages and you sort of conglomerate them into a big pile of what all of them say, which is what I did, where you've got consciousness and reasoning and self-motivate all that, we actually can look at science and see, okay, when do those parts of the, of the 
the fetus actually starts developing. And we can actually look at what parts of the brain start developing when they're developing, how they're talking to each other. Um, and when does consciousness, you know, we don't know exactly when it starts, but we do know uh, what's required for it to exist. And so if those parts don't exist, then consciousness can't exist. Um, so are you saying a consciousness, you don't know when consciousness begins? Not entirely, but we know for a fact that it can't occur until at least 24, 25 weeks of pregnancy because all the parts aren't in place for it to exist. And is that relevant in any way in determining whether abortion is fine or not, or is it completely relevant? I think it's relevant in the fact that if we're going to give uh, that we shouldn't be giving more rights to the woman's body, who is a person, to something that's not a person, I think that's relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, the person, at the very least, the person should have more rights than a non-person should. And, okay, so you have a person, you're saying, so this is where it's like, it's kind of confusing because you're saying, okay, you're talking about brain development and I'm just wondering, okay, how is this in any way relevant if you've already reached the conclusion that a person can determine what another person's rights are? Like, you're just pretty much saying one person's right to life prompts another person's right to life. Is that right? You know, I'm saying a person's right to their own body trumps a non-person's right to her body. Well, how have you determined that they're a non-person? Because the science says so. The, well, I just explained this. No, what you, what you explained was, okay, I've read all these philosophers down the ages, and these philosophers have opinions about when a person, when a person becomes a person, right? Because, again, I'm just listening. No, I didn't, I didn't say that. I said the philosophers <laughs> give us the definition consciousness reasoning self-motivated the capacity to communicate presence of self-awareness that's the definition that all philosophers that i've been able to find seem to think are required those are the items that all the philosophers seem seem to think are required for a person to be considered a person and the science goes in and tells us when the fetus actually has those uh, attributes the philosophers come before the science is that right only because the philosophers are the only per, the only ones with an actual definition. Scientists don't have a definition because they don't think of the world that way. How, how do scientists think of the world? Are they not also humans? So you don't think that just because people are humans, they can't think of the world in a different way? I'm confused no, I'm, as to this question. What I, said, what I asked is that you have humans the way, scientists and philosophers, and you're saying, all right, Philosophers, nameless, faceless philosophers have determined that being a person means having these set of uh, attributes, whatever you call conscious thoughts, factual reasoning. And yeah, I saying, tried to include all the aspects of all the philosophers I was able, uh, was all able to find. All, so where were these philosophers from, if you don't mind me asking? What, what part of the world? Uh, I think there were some Greek philosophers, some modern philosophers. I did the... Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy that did a good job of sort of uh, conglomerating all the ideas into one place. So uh, it's difficult for me to find other philosophers who say that life begins in the womb and say those philosophers are right because they agree with my viewpoint. Is that valid? Well, please stop conflating life and personhood. <laughs> Well, I'm asking, I'm pretty much asking you the same question that you're, I'm using your same methodology, because if I am to believe what you're saying, I have to be consistent. If I'm to cross over to what you're, 
what you're saying is the case. It was like, okay, philosophers have told us the definition of person. And so we took their definition. It if you can take a philosopher's definition and then find the science that backs that up, then I don't see a problem with that. So Aristotle said that a soul, that a, a man, a boy's soul begins at 40 days. Okay, um, and where is the science that, that demonstrates that the soul starts at 40 days? Well, there isn't any, right? Okay, so, um, and then you're not comparing um, apples to apples. Yeah, but you're doing the same thing. You're, you're saying- No, I'm not. I'm saying philosophers gave us the definition of what constitute a per, constitutes a person. So you're- using I'm not saying that they said that it happened in 40 days or it happened in 20 days or whatever. I'm saying they gave us the definition that uh, what people mean when they say person or person, are, personhood. Are philosophers fallible or infallible? Okay. Um, well, guys, we actually went through this uh, at the front of the show. Okay. Um, so we are at a point where we have a little bit of a disagreement over what personhood is. Darren, you were pretty clear about what you thought it took to be a person, uh, understanding of your own existence, self-motivation, uh, capacity to reason, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mac, do you disagree with any of those with any of those attributes of personhood that, that Darren laid down? I disagree strongly because um, there are people in this, this world or on this planet who do not have uh, what I would say is like, uh, this, like they're not able to uh, be coherent when talking. Uh, and by that, I mean like they're somewhat brain damaged. And I know several of these people or people who have autism because their brains didn't develop well while they were in their mother's womb or people. Yeah, and my definition people. doesn't exclude any of those. Well, answering a question, Dan, you have these individuals, right? And what we're hearing is, all right, what, what makes someone a person is if they meet the bare minimum of these uh, arbitrary philosopher uh, definitions of personhood and then we take those definitions and then we align them with science but when we look at reality we have people out there who are not perhaps uh, even experiencing reality the same way that most people do and it's not like we think that these people are less so it comes down to like a worldview issue because uh, are you saying that people who don't have uh, like who are not as mentally or brain developed and I told you repeatedly that I'm not saying that because every every person that you mentioned is included in the definitions I gave. How are they included if you're saying that you need to meet a certain minimum level? Because they meet the minimum level? And the minimum level is this determined by philosophers or by science? Well, the philosophers are the ones that are producing the definitions, so I would imagine it would be determined. So I can find my own philosopher who says, you know, those people over there who look like that or think like this and can't do that. Those people, nah, not really people, not because the, the, the plural of persons is people, persons, people. And it's like, if someone says, those people are in people, I should be able to take their, their argument as valid because that's pretty much the stuff that happens in history, right? Is people look at other people and they say, eh, they're not. Okay, very so am, am I doing that? Yes, you I'm are. not saying, no, I'm not. I told you repeatedly, you I'm not fucking doing that. 
Why do you keep <laughs> insisting I'm doing something I told you repeatedly I'm not doing? Well, we're talking about humans in the in the womb, right? So, so if an alien comes down, they're not human. Does that mean they're not a person? We're not talking about aliens. We're talking about humans. Well, I'm talking about people, personhood, and that well, includes really? aliens that come down and are people. Well, so, are you saying that the aliens aren't people because they're not human? That's not what I. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, all right. Again, you don't have to start talking about aliens when this this is a very straightforward topic because you're talking about humans, right? And you're talking about humans in the womb. And I'm asking you, are they people? And you're saying they're not people unless they develop up to 20 weeks. That's right. Is that correct so far? 24, but sure. 20, 24. Does I don't know because I don't know. It sounds like you're saying it's fixed, but. It, it's not the case, but so, so you're saying someone Well, we know through the science that the coordinated brain activity for consciousness does not occur until 24 to 25 weeks of pregnancy. All right, so they become a person after 24 weeks. Correct, because consciousness is part of the definition of being a person. Okay. I don't know what definition you're going to come up with that doesn't include consciousness. But I'm trying to figure out then if you're if you're drawing the line, you're drawing the line at 24 weeks or 25 weeks. Uh, okay, guys. Um, I'm going to get an answer to that. What we've, we've been here, um, and I think the, the case is pretty well laid out. So I'm going to ask both of you uh, to get ready to deliver your clothes. Darren, if, you, if you'd like to, to answer that, uh, you're certainly welcome to. Mike, I think uh, what I've heard uh, through this debate is uh, that the line is not uh, is not an exact uh, is not exactly week twenty four day one or week twenty four day three, but there is a developmental uh, stage at which it is possible to develop consciousness, and that that doesn't happen at twelve weeks. Uh, it can happen at twenty four or twenty five, and so it seemed that there was an acceptance that there is um, some give and take in the developmental cycle. Uh, and so it's probably not helpful to, um, uh, to try to pin development down to 24 weeks in one day or whatever. Uh, so you're welcome to respond to that. And then we need to get to our closing statements so the folks in the gallery uh, can can answer questions. I'll say to you folks that are not on mic at the moment, uh, when you come off of mic, you do not have to announce who you are. Some people are comfortable with that and some are not. Um, so feel free not to announce exactly who you are if you prefer not to. Um, so Mike, does that clear up the developmental issue that it's, it is not an exact moment in time, but a moment in development and that that moment in development uh, can occur in some range after uh, uh, after some point in time, but it's not an exact point in time. Does that help at all? Yeah, it's helpful because again, it kind of defeats the purpose, the, the the argument of abortion being moral. Because let's say you're one of those people who says, okay, not really a person, but when they become a person, it becomes wrong. But we don't exactly know exactly. We don't know if it's twenty weeks and five days. Or we don't know if it's twenty-four weeks and three days and it's different for everyone so it's like you're putting yourself in a dilemma instead of just saying okay since let me let me err on the side of caution let me not kill a person uh, let me not be in support of killing a 
person. You're pretty much just saying because of what some people, some philosophers uh, give a definition of personhood and because the science says it's between these weeks and it's different for everyone. And you're kind of making a decision that involves the life of another human. And you're making that decision based on pretty much conjecture. And, and I don't think that even we don't do that in terms of any law that I know of, where it's like you're, you're kind of throwing a dart in the dark and hoping it lands like, oh, maybe it might or might not be a person, but you know what, just, just, let's just see what happens. And I would appeal to anyone who perhaps is in that camp who thinks, you know, like perhaps uh, after this 24 weeks, whatever, that's when they become a person, I would appeal to them. Please just reconsider the fact that that you might, you're not infallible. You don't know when uh, a, a human being, if, if that's what you believe, if that's what you believe, if you're like one of those people that personhood is something that you gain as opposed to something that you inherently have when you're uh, fertilized, when you're, when you're a zygote. If you're one of those people who believes that, perhaps you might want to reconsider the fact that you are acting in a sense where you're kind of rolling the dice on the life of someone else where it's like, uh, not a person and then it's like they become a person after a few days or and you're not really sure because there's no way for you to confirm that as we've heard like I asked do you know if a person has consciousness like I'm not sure okay, if you're not sure then why would you go ahead and kill them yeah Darren you have uh, one more bite of the apple on this point and we're going to move uh, to closing statements so do either of you have a preference for which one of you goes first and close this isn't a formal Oxford style debate so we can um, uh, we can figure that out who went first in the opening there so you yeah I did okay Mac is it okay with you if Darren closes okay okay Darren do you want to um, talk about that confusion about consciousness one more time yeah I would just say that Mac's uh, characterization of what's actually going on is completely inaccurate. Um, we're not confused. Uh, the science is fairly clear. Uh, the, the parts of the brain that produce these different, the ability uh, to solve new and relative complex problems, self-motivation, consciousness, they just physically do not exist um, in a working order prior to about four weeks, 24 to 26 weeks. So um, it's not that we're confused. It's not that uh, we're throwing darts you know, in the dark. We, we know for a fact that this, that's the absolute minimum it can be. So, um, and since most abortions, 99% of them are under 13 weeks or under 20 weeks, knowing that consciousness doesn't happen until 24 weeks means that we know for a fact that a fetus, when we're talking about abortion, is not a person. It's not a, it's not a thing that has consciousness. It's not a thing that can res, uh, resolve new and complex problems. It's not self-motivated. It doesn't have uh, the capacity to com communicate or process complex um, uh, language. Um, it has no self-awareness. Um, it can't because the brain just isn't developed to the point where it can do that. And I think that giving a um, a being that a fetus more rights to the woman's body than she has when it doesn't even 
isn't even a person, I don't, I just don't understand how you can make that moral leap, um, which we didn't actually hear from uh, McIntyre. He didn't provide any moral grounding or foundation or anything to, um, to, to suggest that we shouldn't use science to make those determinations. Okay. Thank you, Mac. Um, if you are ready with your clothes, uh, I will ask that we keep the closes for both of you a good bit more brief than the openings because um, we're rolling on to where we need to let the folks in the uh, in the chat participate. And uh, so, closing thoughts, Mac. All right. Uh, if if you've listened to like two hours, I'm surprised the time has gone by that fast. Uh, but you've listened to two sides here, and and it's it's ultimately a question of like okay facts, but it's also a question of worldviews, and it's ultimately a woman who has six children and and is contemplating having an abortion, you know, like a philosophical argument about why she shouldn't, perhaps might not be the one that convinces her. Like ultimately, for my worldview. Uh, a worldview where uh, purpose, ultimate purpose exists, where God exists, where uh, there is forgiveness and there is uh, redemption. A worldview like that, a woman who is contemplating an abortion obviously needs love and support and care, and, and she needs to understand why um, she needs to turn to Christ for repentance of her sins. And so when it comes to the issue of like determining is abortion, uh, moral is the person, is the human <laughs> in, the, in the womb, a person where, like most of us, when we're talking, like if you go back and listen to this entire debate, you'll notice something and you realize that uh, Darren is always going between, he's like, he always has to check himself when he's talking about a person and a human, like he interchange, like interchangeable, he uses them interchangeably, or sometimes you can tell that he's um, trying to, um, uh, make a distinction that is not natural and that that's because it isn't we do not do that in in reality we do not distinguish between you, you don't say oh that person is really not a person except for when uh atrocity is happening and this isn't a personal uh, slight against Darren. i'm not going to say that he believes people are less than, but he does in the sense that he is taking a position that is not consistent with reality. It's not consistent to say, okay, uh, a, a human developing in the womb is not a person until they meet this set of criteria that I've personally determined for myself from philosophers. And then I'm taking those definitions and I'm, 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 I'm applying science, which uh, we've not heard a single scientist named. We've not, like, I'm sure there's there there's going to be sources at the end of the show, but like, it's like we've not heard that in this discussion. We've not had any scientist who says who believes this. And the fact is, again, I'm talking about facts here. Human brain development starts soon after conception. It's not something that happens after a few weeks. And when someone says, "Okay, I'm going to categorize humans based on this sort of thoughts that they have on." or what contributions they can make. Like, this is a challenge to anyone who's listening. Uh, how has that worked out for us in the past? How has that worked out when we, uh, as a species, have decided, okay, see those people there 
with dark skin, you know, can't really uh, do science. They can't really, uh, their civilization is not all that advanced. You know, I know they look like a human, but they're just not a person. This is not an emotional argument because this is something that happened in the history of the United States. Uh, and at the forefront of ending slavery in the United States were Christians who were uh, appealing to objective, absolute uh, definitions. Even they did, they did not even have ultrasounds and they were, they were showing that all human beings have intrinsic value. You may disagree, but if you disagree, you're kind of casting your vote. You're casting your law on that side. You might not be as extreme on the spectrum as some people, but you are literally across the line. You're over that side. And the appeal is to cross over to the side that you know is consistent with ethics and morality, with what's right. Because ultimately, everyone has to uh, say that they, they want to be treated like a person. We don't say, oh, I want to treat it like a human. That's, that's completely antithetical. So people want to be treated with dignity and respect. People have a right to life, but you cannot have, you cannot be treated with uh, respect if you don't have a life. And so like, when we think about, actually, I'm just gonna piggyback of what David Johnson said at the beginning with his uh, opening uh, statement about skeptics and seekers. He said, the best arguments don't make you the best person. And I agree with him. You can make the, all the kind. You can say the science says that 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 thing in the womb is not a person. You can say that. That's an argument. But ultimately, if you if you are caring about what's happening on the ground, like if you're if I ask you what what's wrong with abortion, and you say, well, the only thing that's wrong with it is that people are being shamed, then you are not in the side of reality. You do not know what happens inside the abortion centers where uh, you have living, breathing human beings being sucked out with a right vacuum and being killed, that's happening. And so the appeal is to join the right side of, uh, of this debate, of this, of this ethical uh, mountain of our time and be on the right history, side of history and the choice that ultimately matters. Because ultimately this is a worldview issue is that you cannot make that choice like my intention of coming on this show today wasn't to make uh, to primarily make people pro-life because ultimately I know there's a bigger problem and that's the problem that people are des desperately in need of Christ in their lives and so when you turn your back on the author of life by definition you will be forced to, to defend death you are walking towards a position where you're making all sorts of arguments and justifications for why death is this, why it's acceptable, or, or why my rights trump the, the right to life of another person. And all these are just, it's a smokescreen. It, it, people know that they're not true. That's why when my opponent was asked to list the names of people who say this, it was just not able to do it. And that, and I'm glad because you can't do it because they don't exist. People inherently want to be treated like people. And so I just challenge the audience to keep that, keep an open mind to this. If you are on the pro-choice side, think about what's been said about the value of human life. Think about what's been said about when someone becomes a person. It's not clear cut, there's no clear day. We can't say, okay, 
you were a person yesterday at 12 o'clock, but now you're a person because officially that doesn't even exist in the science. That's not accurate. That's not true. Uh, so just there and uh, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in and yeah, God bless. Mike, thank you. Uh, I know that in the run up to the, uh, to the show, there was some misgiving about uh, what might happen here. Uh, I, I will just say that I hope you feel like you were fairly treated uh, because I know that that uh, can be a concern. So uh, I hope that you walk away from this uh, feeling like you got an equal share of time and, and got to stay in positions um, in whatever way you felt was most beneficial to you. And you are welcome back uh, if you would ever like to come back. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, it was a fair show. Can't complain. There, it's uh, it's down to you. And then the way we will run the um, the comments is, uh, David, I'll, I'll uh, ask you first. So I'm going to ask questions in the order that you guys appear uh, on the Zoom screen here. So we'll ask uh, David, and then we'll ask the person the black and white photograph. And uh, Brian with an I, because that's the way you guys line up. Um, Darren, you're close. Um, I would just say if anyone wants specific names and research, you can go to the six pages of resources that I provided to Andrew that he's going to be putting in show notes. Um, and, or you can just uh, Google, you know, scientific consensus of when life begins. You'll find the controversy right there. It's not as clear cut as Mac Attack wants you uh, wants you to believe it is. Uh, but I also wanted you to notice that Mac Attack didn't actually have any arguments as to why anything I was saying was wrong here. He gave basically an emotional appeal. And emotional appeals, they're fine. Um, nothing inherently wrong with that, but they don't actually help you when you're trying to prove, well, anything really. Um, I presented a definition, one that people I think would generally agree with if you're in the audience. I'm sure how you think that something that isn't conscious and has no self-awareness is a person, but if you want to um, if you want to believe that something that has no consciousness and is not self-aware is a person, then, then you know, has no brain function, has no, uh, the, where the uh, physical properties of the brain that produce any of that is, is absent, um, you're more welcome to believe that, but then that's going to make death certificates a lot harder because the definition of death is when the brain stops working. So when the brain's not working, we there isn't anywhere in our society or the science that says that a something with no brain is a person. Um, so um, I guess I will just leave it there. Um, I, I feel that uh, the definition for personhood that I gave was the standard one. Um, well, standard-ish. I know there's a lot of definitions, but I included all the different variants. I tried to make sure that I caught everything. Um, we know uh, what parts of the brain produce those aspects. We uh, can tell when they're working and when they're not working. Um, we know that personhood is not uh, limited to humans because if aliens come in, then um, we're not going to say they're not people just because they're not human. So human DNA has absolutely nothing to do with personhood. And I believe that a woman has 
rights to uh, rights to her own body that should not be subverted by anyone. Uh, there's no putting them on pause. There's no um, taking them away. Um, I think that she has the ultimate right to her own body, and that just like someone can't take you off the street and uh, steal your organs, and a fetus can't demand uh, the women uh, use her organs to make let him survive. I think I think that is the ultimate disagreement we have uh, between us. Um, he thinks that a um, a fetus should have more rights to the woman's body than she does, and I don't believe so. Darren, we've done a number of shows together. As always, uh, I appreciate your thoughts. Uh, uh, like I said to Mac, I hope you feel like this was a, a, a fair show, a balanced conversation. Oh, yeah, you always do a good job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Mac. Um, like I said, you're, you're welcome back. Uh, uh, I think you do well. And uh, regardless of what happens with, with SNS um, down the road, and there'll be more on that uh, at some point in the not too distant future. Uh, I would enjoy uh, continuing the conversation with you. So thank you for being willing to show up, uh, not only on SNS, but still unbelievable. And uh, Darren, as you know, we'll be doing more shows together in the future. So. Um, David, um, this has been a lively, lively chat. Uh, I know that it's not going to be published along with the show. Uh, there are some outstanding questions. And uh, you are in the top left corner of uh, of my Zoom screen, so you get first bite of the apple. I think that's pretty. Um, I think that's pretty fitting in. I, I don't. I don't know who this David is, but I would like to remain anonymous. Um, oh, as, uh, as okay, Mister Deep Throat. You have. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I also don't want uh, you know my fetishistic practices uh, outed either. Um, where was I? Questions. We're all wondering the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not my show anymore. I can torpedo it any way I like. <laughs> so um, it's so freeing. I just have one quick question for both people. Same question. So as a person who actually has changed their mind, on this issue, I'm going to pull the Justin Briley and ask uh, each of you what would actually change your mind on the issue, or is this just an unfalsifiable set in stone kind of thing for both of you? I think for me, um, you'd have to convince me that a woman doesn't have rights to her own body. Um, I'm not entirely sure how someone would go about doing that. But that would be the path forward for me. Uh, well, for me, I already had my mind changed. I used to be very poor choice, very poor choice. <laughs> and uh, I suppose what changed my mind to being pro-life was that I realized that it's not it's not a black and white issue. It's not you know, go it's not like going to the dentist and getting your teeth removed. It's not, we don't have, we don't have philosophy. We don't ask ourselves, hmm, that tooth, you know, it had an impact, it's just clump of cells. We don't really have those kinds of talks about basic biological other things that we do, like 
getting surgery in our arms and stuff. But we do have discussions about that here in this context. So for me, you'd have to, in a sense, reconvince me that an abortion is what's best, like it's the best solution at any given time. And we're talking here about like someone says, I, I want to get an abortion because this is the absolute best decision I can make right now. Uh, you'd have to convince me that's the case. Thank you for that. Um, because she has appeared on uh, on podcasts in the past, I will simply uh, uh, say, Teddy, it's your turn. Hello. Hi. Hey, by the way, in, I'm glad to be able to uh, share a mic with you here just for a few minutes. Um, and like I said to Mac, um, you're welcome over on SU anytime. And um, I'd love to share a mic with you in the future and to keep the conversation going, whatever happens here. Thank you. I, I feel the same way. I don't know what was the question. I was checking some email <laughs> that I had to check. Oh, so you get to ask the question of, of both Mac and Darren. So you've, you've heard a, a pretty long debate. Um, there are a lot of questions out there having to do with uh, with personhood, with bodily autonomy, with questions about science. Um, what are our rights? Um, is there a difference between function and purpose? I mean, we, we talked about a lot of things over the last little while. And as you were listening, did you have a question uh, for one or both of these guys that, that you thought didn't get answered or that you'd like to hear addressed in a different way? Well, do you mind if I uh, kind of pose a challenge to uh, one of the things that Darren said? By all means. Okay. Hey, I won't object, though Darren may. Is this going to be a speech? going to be a speech or a question? I'm just curious. I don't know. Um, hey, hey all like I know is the gun's not aimed at me this time, so. <laughs> It had to do with uh, Darren's claim that we value bodily autonomy uh, in this country more than life. And I strongly disagree with that because I don't think he's really looking at the, the issue deeply enough. In this situation where self-defense, the right to self-defense exists. You can't just kill someone. You can't use lethal force on someone unless you are being threatened with lethal force. So if, um, you know, if somebody is just, you know, punches someone in the face, you can't shoot them. That's, you know, the person that does the shooting will be having some uh, serious repercussions with our uh, criminal laws, in, at least in the United States. And so um, it, it's only, it, it, our laws deal with the preservation of life. So it is only in order to preserve your life or, um, the right to self-defense and the right to defend others who are threatened 
with, um, with death or with deadly force, then you can use deadly force against them, but it's not to preserve bodily autonomy. So for example, was there a question in there somewhere? Well, it's a comment, but my point is, is that for example, when the police have a suspect and they're arresting that suspect and the person is resisting, the police can't just shoot the person. It's only when there's deadly force uh, or when they're threatened with deadly force that they can then escalate it to, to shooting. So I just kind of wanted to, to challenge that because that, that was an important um, thing that you were arguing, but I just think it was uh, factually incorrect in terms of it, it was just looking at the surface of the argument and not looking at, well, what do those laws uh, in terms of the law of self-defense and defensive edge, what are they really going to preserve? They're, they're not preserving bodily autonomy, but, um, but life. And so life is life, liberty in the pursuit of happiness. That is what our, our declaration, which is really our founding document in this country, that's what it's all about. And then the U.S. Constitution, uh, you know, adds to that, but, but that's, that's what, you know, that's the most important thing, life. And when, with the death penalties you mentioned, uh, that's only to, to send a message to other people. Hey, if you go around murdering people, you might get the death penalty. So it's partly- well, then, that means, then that means that the message is more important than that person's right to life. No, it, it's it, the message is so that fewer murders will take place, so that more lives are preserved. So it's it always right. So that so it. that what you're saying is more important than that person's right to life. It, we're we're talking about innocent life, um, and and there is a distinction um, because even God, in uh, you know, if you want to get into the religious aspects, God permits the death penalty. Uh, for murderers. So, sure, because he commands people to kill people for picking up sticks on his favorite day. Well, you know, God's rules, God, he's he's God, so he can create his own rules. And well, he, when you can demonstrate that's true, then I'd be happy. I'm just saying, if, if you want to bring up God into the equation, um, my point is just that, you know, you're, you're bringing up well, God. But- but all you're doing there is just saying that God doesn't really respect life and he doesn't have to, but yet we have to. So if God doesn't respect it, then there's God no reason that we need to. of course respects it. That's why okay. he gives okay. it. Okay. okay. This sounds like, uh, this sounds like fertile ground. Can I respond? Or? Oh, well, yeah, I, of course you can. Let me just finish that thought. This is fertile ground for a debate between the two of you. <laughs> and uh, you are welcome to bring your figurative uh, weapons to still unbelievable and and have this out. I think this is actually a terribly interesting uh, idea that you know the, the things that God permits and doesn't permit and and uh, ethical code that sort of thing. Um, and so rather than prosecute a debate in the question and answer section, I would, would love to have you two have that conversation. I'll send out an email in the not distant future. And if you both want to. We will have that conversation, uh, Teddy. I don't. I don't want you to feel like I'm cutting you off. No, no, not at all. I got okay. my point in. Okay, Matt, go ahead. No, I think Teddy makes a great point. Uh, right to life 
always trumps right right to liberty because again in the case like there were huge some some high profile cases that happened last year like the, the george floyd murder uh, everyone who saw that saw that it was it's unjust you a police officer cannot do that to another person but then there was another incident that happened this year in january where someone's life wasn't really in danger uh it happened uh during the dc riots when someone was uh a lady named Ashley Babbitt was climbing through a window and she was trying to get to where the vice president was and the senators were. And the police officer took out his gun and shot her and she died. And people, I think the consensus is that the police officer did nothing wrong because again, they were acting like it, they were, their mentality was that they were protecting the lives of other people. So this one person's bodily autonomy to be in a place in a restricted area, their autonomy actually, doesn't. Yeah. Well, that's not bodily autonomy, though. Actually, it's just hands hold on, hold on, hold on, for just a visible to that police Danny, officer. Hold on for just a second, because I'll point out for the listeners: we're not going to have a debate. Uh, All right. Over. No, Mac. I'm not. I'm not uh, dismissing what you said. All right. Did yeah, you my finish your point. answer? Because if you didn't, I want you to be able to finish it. Okay, like thirty seconds. So my point okay. there is that that person was like, I have a right to be protesting and getting into the senator's uh, room, but well, that didn't happen because they were shot, and people were saying that the police officer did something right, and that's again a case of controversy. Is that did he act justly because the woman wasn't armed and all that? So what I'm saying is that there's a situation where someone's body autonomy did not. Like it did not trump someone other people's right to life, even if they thought that they were not going to do anything wrong. Yeah, done. So for the listeners, um, I happen to know something about this case. Teddy, you might have been about to say this, but uh, in the case of George Floyd, uh, Eric Chauvin was found guilty of, of several crimes. Actually, he was guilty on all counts. In the case of the Capitol Police Force police officer that shot Ashley Babbitt. Uh, not only have there been no uh, federal charges or local charges, it has been announced that there will not be. So in the case of Ashley Babbitt, that, uh, that particular act uh, was looked at, folded, spindled, mutilated, and that officer is uh, on the job today because the governing authorities did not find his actions uh, to be contradictory uh, to his responsibilities. Brian with an eye. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's so much there, Andrew. Yeah, well, and we can have that conversation, uh, but this is not we a conversation should. about Ashley Babbitt. Okay. Um, so but so it has to do with life, and did she it, present a threat to that Um, Teddy just went away. Can everybody no, she didn't. Someone slipped and hit her mute button. Anyway, you were about to move on. I, I, I was about to move on, not, not because I don't want to hear what Teddy has to say. I love Teddy and I'd be happy to have this conversation. Um, but this isn't a conversation about DC police officers and politics. I've always wanted to do it and I'm not sorry. You did it before. I've, Don't um, do it when it I'm It didn't winning. stick the last time either. So yeah, I um, unmuted myself. Teddy, Teddy, sorry, we didn't actually hear that, and I am going to move on. Uh, you are welcome.
to come to Still Unbelievable, and I would be happy to have that conversation with you. I don't want you to feel cut off. Um, and I know that you think this is germane. Uh, I think the right to life is germane for this conversation. I'm happy to have that conversation if you need to. Brian with an I. Um, you know, somehow I said I wasn't going to announce anyone. And <laughs> I, have, I have, in fact, announced everyone. Uh, Brian with an I. Nice job. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the only thing I'd have to say is that there are lots of reasons why women decided to have abortions. And one way to, it would seem to me, to reduce the number of abortions is to look seriously at the reasons why women are choosing to do that. And if you can eliminate those reasons, then the the desire, the need to have the abortion go away. And so it would seem to me that that would be a practical way of uh, coming about this. And that's about the only comment I've got. Thank you. Can I am something on that. I'm 100% agreement with Brian with an eye. Matt, what do you think? I'm sorry, I wasn't really paying attention. What, what was what did you say, Brian? I'm sorry. What, what Mainly, mainly that there's women have a lot of reasons for having abortions. And if we can eliminate those reasons, whether it's financial or uh, work related or something like that, then that's going to, then that would help reduce the number of abortions. Yeah, I agree with you, but I don't think that's, I don't think understanding the reasons for why people have abortions is going to change anything because people have been having abortions for a long time and the main the primary reason that people have abortions is because of financial reasons poverty uh they feel like it's going to impact their finances and i personally don't think that we should be killing humans because we cannot afford to feed them and i was thinking of this uh individual actually i was actually researching about cristiano ronaldo and his mother contemplated aborting him because she already had four kids at the time well, cristiano ronaldo is one of the wealthiest people on the planet and he's one of the most well-known athletes on the planet he just made a huge transfer to back to his old club and and we can't we can't say like okay that that person might have difficulties in life later uh so let's kill them i, I don't think that's i don't think that's even can be logically argued from unless you're actually omnipotent or all-knowing okay um brian Thank you. I, I think that that's maybe the um, I think maybe that that is the place to, to shut this down is it is a place where we have come to some kind of agreement that what we want is to have a world where people have to do less on either side. Uh, we don't want people disadvantaged. We want all life to have its best possible chance to succeed. And I will, I will also say that on both sides of this aisle, whether you are a Christian thinking that you're giving all life the best chance to succeed by, uh, by prohibiting abortion, or whether you're on the other side of the aisle and you think that the best way for life to succeed is by having fewer unwanted children, by creating more thriving among us 
uh, who are here. What we all want, what we all want is a better tomorrow. And if we can't look uh, virtually on our Zoom screens as it happens right now, if we can't look at each other eye to eye and realize that what we want is the best tomorrow that we can all create, we can just stop talking. And I'll point out that the reason that skeptics and seekers is shutting down. is because for the most part, we couldn't see the good in each other when we were staring each other keyboard to keyboard. And we lose something today. We lose something right now. When the record button is no longer on, when stop is pressed, skeptics and seekers goes away, and it goes away for the worst, the worst possible reason. It goes away because we couldn't bring out the best in each other. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, well, we got rid of those damned skeptics, we're not taking a victory lap. And you shouldn't be either.